The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, we are in Luke chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to be leading us through 13 to 24. Um, I'm going to read this for us, and then we will uh, start looking at this together. And um, we'll see what God has for us. By the way, if you have questions... Um, I realize it could be a little bit more free-form this morning. That's fine. And uh, you can send in a question um, on, uh, through the phone. Um, I won't see those to the end, but if you have questions, we'll, uh, we'll work through those together. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 34. So this is just after um, Jesus has been talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and how people will acknowledge him or not acknowledge him and how that plays out from their personal life into their public life. So he's in a big group crowd setting, so this kind of explains how we start here in verse 13. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made you a judge or arbiter over you? Who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there, will be, there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have an ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither uh, store, they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what, it, what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags. 
do not that do not grow old, with a treasure that uh, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where thief where where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, as we look at these words and consider what it means, greed, joy, and open-handed hearts in this life, we pray that we would experience your open-handed heart towards us, and that that would influence and change how we live among others. So, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as we get started, I wanted to ask, when we use the word greed... So Jesus uses the word covetousness in this passage. What what comes to mind with greed? Like, what are kind of examples um, of greed that you see around us? Anybody? I mean, money generally, yes. <laughs> Any, like, specific examples of, like, people who are greedy? Nobody in this room, though. Somebody outside this room. <laughs> Not tipping a waiter or waitress? Yeah. So at the concert last night, I thought it was funny that, like, the way, so you, with all the, like, the etiquette of tipping is a little weird these days with, like, when you pay with your card, like, they'll give you the, the tablet, and they're like, it's going to ask you a question. I'm like... Because it is an awkward position sometimes for waiters and waitresses, like with the the new system. Do you tip? Do you not tip? When they're just getting you something or something like that. But yeah, but yes. How many times have we seen on Reddit somebody having like a five hundred dollar bill and they're like zero percent tip or whatever on the receipt, right? Uh, one that comes to comes to mind. Um, this is a bit broader than just tipping and stuff like that, but. Um, are you guys aware uh, the auto workers union are on strike right now? So auto 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 workers of America is that the way? It is? United Auto Workers UAW. That's right. All these ac- like acronyms. They're on strike right now, um, and it came to mind as a kind of an example of kind of getting us into this passage because over the last ten years, as I understand the data, uh, the uh, auto industry in America has doubled between 2013 and 2023 um, to the tune of a $250 billion industry. Um, In the midst of that, right, uh, in the last few years, specifically last four years, um, the prices of vehicles has increased by 30%. CEO pay has increased by 40%, while workers' pay has only increased by 6%. And that's why they're on strike. Uh, I'm sure we can all think of either articles or headlines that we've seen in the last few years. Amidst all the dynamics of the pandemic, it seems like the rich have gotten richer and uh, regular workers have maintained or been paid less. And the thing I find interesting about that illustration of unions specifically is that it illustrates both the concept of greed, right, where you're like, the, the CEO is not the one making the cars, the workers are. So you have that greed kind of illustration, but then also within unions, you have this solidarity dynamic as well. This uh, this word of we are in this together collectively. Now, I'm not trying to get into the politics of how you feel about unions or whatever. I think that the idea 
of solidarity is something that we find in this passage as well. So solidarity, at least in my mind, when I kind of think of that word, it's not just kind of like we love each other or we feel nice about each other. Like, how do you feel about this or that person? Solidarity is a, a meaningful and tangible leaning in and linking arms. It's a uh, solidarity is a sense of uh, a union with other people that, that's meaningful. And I'm sure there's other kind of dynamics to what, it's, what solidarity might mean for you. And I think that that sort of, those categories of greed and what it says about the inner life of our soul and solidarity and what it says about the inner life of our soul come out in this passage. And I, I will talk through that because I, I realize the word solidarity is not used here. But I think this meaningful union is, and in the middle of that picture, we find God himself speaking to us. So I think with greed, we're going to find something along the lines of a closed-hearted narrowing of our humanity, and with solidarity is an open-handed experience of God's goodness. So main point this morning, and then we're going to kind of work through this together. God's joyful nearness frees us to live in solidarity with others. God's joyful nearness frees us to live in solidarity with others. So I want to fill this in. We're going to start seeing kind of in the first section of this passage, as we've typically begun to see with Jesus, this photo negative, this reverse image, this bad example of something that he wants to paint for us so that we can see more clearly the good example. So we're going to see that here, verses 13 to 21, the isolating solidarity with ourselves. Um, and we'll, we'll begin to see kind of how the solidarity language is going to be exemplified in this passage. So you have this group setting, this crowded kind of, everybody's trying to get Jesus' attention. And in the middle of that, we're going to kind of look at this first half of this section a guy comes up to him and says, hey, revolution has begun. Jesus, would you split my brother's inheritance with me? Like, get my brother to split him with me, split his inheritance with me. So let's read these verses here. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, man, sorry, I can't help but read that as kind of like, man, <laughs> <laughs> where I feel like, I think the intent is to be kind of like, sir. You know, like that sort of... <laughs> I, Who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying... So we're going to get to that parable in a second. Here we have, um, in the ancient world, generally it was understood that the, the oldest son would get the inheritance um, and that the other sons were just kind of left to kind of figure it out on their own. Um, that's kind of played out in the majority of human history. And here this, you can only assume that this is a younger brother who has no inheritance coming to him because the family business is going to the oldest son. And he's kind of like, yo, I want some of that, right? There's, there's a sense of uh, understandable, like, hey, like, this isn't fair. Like, can you fix this? But in the midst of this, Jesus perceives basically like, look, you're asking me to settle a family matter that it seems to me like um, you're just being covetousness or greed, greedy, right? You're just trying to get in 
on something that who knows what the relationship is with the dad and the son. You know, has a son been apprenticed and the other son has gone away? You know, who knows all this situation? Jesus perceives in this, hey, you're trying to get something that's really not yours. And he goes into a, a whole teaching then on what we're going to see here. Greed. Right? Greed in the ancient world was universally seen as a negative trait. So when Jesus is saying, like, hey, greed is bad, he's not saying anything new um, to the ancient world. Uh, but I think what we're going to see here in a, with Jesus' parable is that when we think greed, we tend to think money. Like, we think strictly, like, greed is just wanting more money. You want more zeros on your check, you want more zeros in your bank account, that sort of thing. But in the ancient world, money, you have to appreciate, the ancient world lived hand-to-mouth all the time. Like, up until the last 150 years, the vast majority, even upper-class people, they lived... The food that was cooked today was the only food that you had, and that was it. And so there's no kind of like developing of resources. So in the ancient world, it was largely perceived that um, money represented status, kind of like how how much expend like how much status you had was represented with how much stuff you had. So we're going to see that here in this parable. I'm going to have I want you to have that in your mind as we look at this parable. How does this reflect um, a maneuvering for status rather than just trying to accumulate stuff? So, and he, to- and he told them a parable, verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. But, that, but God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So there's a few things I want to kind of point out about this passage because I think at face value we read this and we're kind of like, okay, so this guy wanted to save more of his stuff. And if we don't kind of think about this in the way the ancient world would have thought about this, we can misread this to say, well, um, that means all money is bad. I shouldn't save up for retirement. I shouldn't save money at all. Like that's not what this passage is about. What's going on here is that this guy's crop has produced more than he anticipated, which in a certain sense, already shows that this is on bad, this guy's on bad footing. If you're a farmer, you kind of can read your, your crop and you know, for example, this year, we knew back in the spring that peaches and apples were going to be terrible this year because we had that last freeze snap in May that froze off the, the buds, and so that's why there wasn't as much, uh, some farms didn't even have apple picking, right? If you know kind of how your crop develops, you can anticipate I'm going to have more crops this year. And so here's this guy at the end of the crop site season, right? So October, November, whatever it is. And it's come harvest time. And he's like, oh, I don't have enough space for this stuff that I could have easily seen that I was going to have. So that's kind of like strike one against him. This guy is not paying attention to all the blessing that God is providing for him. Secondly, in the ancient world, um, you would have just added another barn, right? 
But here, adding another barn is a calculated move because that would be giving up land that could be used for crop share, you know, for, for harvesting more food. And instead of adding another barn, he wants to preserve space for more crop in the future. So he says, I'm going to tear down my barn and build another one. So it, just imagine, you're crop season, you're trying to figure out where am I going to put all my stuff, rather than just kind of like emergency building space. He tears down the barn and then builds up a bigger one, right? Already you're like, whoa, this guy, this is a, a huge endeavor. I mean, I don't know, I've never personally built a barn. I don't know if you've ever built a barn. <laughs> My neighbor across the street is building a, a, a shed, and it's, it's a big, like, there's a lot that goes into, like, figuring out the right land, you know, laying the foundation. All, it, it's, a, it's a process. Not to, not, then the other part of this is that not merely is he building a larger barn, but by building a larger barn, he is then saying, all of this extra stuff that I have that I didn't anticipate because I don't pay attention, he doesn't put it into the market, right? He doesn't put it into the like, available to, for people to buy. He preserves it, which means it's not just that he's thinking about himself. He is actively denying extra food, resources, provision for his neighbors around him. So then in the ancient world, they would have seen this and been like, this guy can only be doing this for one reason. He wants, you see this here, I will do this, I will tear to my barns, and I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Which is the only thing that somebody, that in the ancient world, that somebody could do who had enough status to throw enough parties, to throw enough excess around to build his name up and to be somebody. So like this becomes less about just having stuff and more to do about he is, in effect, denying what he could be giving to his neighbors and friends and family around and building up his own status. So this becomes less an, about strictly like money and more to do about this guy's, I mean, arrogance is, a, is not quite the right term. He is self-puffing himself up type thing. So are you getting the idea of like, this isn't just kind of like stuff. This is more about his status. I wonder, in trying to think about this, for how, what does this mean for us as we kind of look at this? You know, I, I look at the world around us in local news, national news, and we see how people, they get to this point where they have these like either mental breaks or they have these, just these, all these allegations come out about them or just terrible behavior. And you can kind of see if you kind of, kind of post-mortem, how did we get here? This increasing isolation from critical feedback or uh, healthy engagement with others where they get almost kind of like this posse of echo chamber type stuff. And this guy, I mean, has an echo chamber. I mean, he's literally talking to himself. <laughs> I mean, 
to the extent that we begin to pull away from caring for the people around us and think, I really just want to, I care about my status, my position, my image. Man, do we not live in a, in a day of image management? I mean, we, we literally have apps that are just image management. It's a complete, it's, it's a perverting of our humanity where we begin to shrink and isolate in solidarity with ourselves. And we're just left with our own voice. So that is the negative image. That, so that, I think, what we're beginning to see is a deeper, actually a more corrupted root underneath just greed in general to seeing greed is a certain sense it is taking what belong, what, what could be rightfully given to other people and consolidating into our own image management of our uh, management of our own image kind of self-serving in that sense is that making sense am i am i tracking with you guys are we okay i got enough head nods i'm going to keep moving <laughs> on here so we see and then jesus responds to this we're going to pick up here in verse 22 uh, to 31, the freeing solidarity with creation. So Jesus doesn't just go to like, um, it's interesting, he doesn't just kind of tell people like, stop it. I find it fascinating. Jesus is super practical in how he says, hey, this inclination of greed is a, a break in your humanity with most fundamentally what it just means to live in this world. So we're going to see that here in verse 22 to 31. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are able, not able to do as small a thing as that, add a single hour to your life, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I find it fascinating that Jesus goes to the, the, the initial take on how to address this yearning this hunger for status, this hunger and yearning, sorry, I got tripped up, for providing for yourself at the expense of all others, as he says, you know, basically to quote Mary Poppins, right, feed the birds, right? Consider the birds. Now, I don't know how much you know about birds, or ravens particularly. Before I say anything, anybody here like big on ravens or crows. I mean, apart from the fact that ravens are associated with wizards and warlocks and that sort of stuff in ancient mythology. Anybody familiar with ravens or crows, like what they, like their species of birds? Okay. Ravens are incredibly intelligent birds. They have been observed to not only know 
each person's specific face. Like they can, facial recognition, like they would be able to tell if I was feeding them for a week, they would know my face and they would know that I'm a trustworthy person and would come up to me to feed them moving forward, right? So they, they can facial recognition. They also have been observed in, the, in nature to create tools to problem solve. So they're like highly intelligent birds. They, uh, they problem solve, they, have, they can build tools, all that type of stuff. So it's fascinating to me that Jesus doesn't just say kind of like the sparrows, which, uh, you know, not quite as intelligent. He, he says ravens. In a certain sense, it's, it's interesting to me that, that ravens, per, they are these highly intelligent birds, so they're not just kind of these random birds, that, that can provide for themselves, and yet even in that context, Jesus is saying, even what they are able to work for and provide for themselves, kind of problem solve, figure out during the day, even that, God provides for them. God even meets them in that need, even with all their like, bird-like skills. And then he goes to, next thing, lilies, which not quite as, they can't problem solve the same way that birds can. I mean, lilies are just beautiful little flowers, and they are here today and gone tomorrow. So in the midst of that, he then goes, birds, lilies, they're provided for, they're, they're cared for, and then nations. Bit of a bit of a, a bit of a big jump. But I think the unifying idea here with all three of these is each one of these things, whether it's birds, uh, passive, unthinking <laughs> plants that, need, that are provided for, or huge nations, each one has a yearning and a need for life. In the midst of all that, Jesus says, God knows that need. It's almost as though God put that need there. And he is eager to provide for it. I find it fascinating here in the midst of these things that Jesus' spiritual life is shaped by meditating and considering the world around him. That he, he doesn't swing towards, don't you know your Bible? He swings towards... Have you opened your eyes in the world that you live in? Have you observed the world around you? His spiritual life says, I am aware of the world around me, and I've actually pondered it and thought about it. Right? He says, verse 27, consider the lilies, or verse 24, consider the ravens. Right? This is a direct command. Like, how do you fight against this anxiety, this yearning for status, this, in, this nervousness about the world? Jesus is saying, at the heart of this world is a God who has made the creation around you. And you can tell something about his heart in paying attention to the world around you. Right? It's fascinating to me that Jesus draws our attention to the created world around us as though that is where God himself speaks to us as well. This picture of God is not so high above us that he does not come down and speak so closely to us. And the way he speaks closely to us is by the very air that we breathe, the, the, the plants that are around us as we walk around, the birds in the air as we, we live. Right? And I just want to clarify... Jesus is not talking about clinical anxiety. I hope that we're kind of, we're, we're defining this to say 
there is this anxiety that he is speaking to that is this yearning for status and life. I have to have this world. I need to, to, to grip this world to provide for me. That is this kind of orientation that Jesus is speaking to. And we find in the world around us the heart of our Father in heaven. Verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Is yearning for life. And your Father knows that you need them. Right, you can, you can imagine Jesus as he's walking around the neighborhood. When we think of maturing our spiritual life, we tend to think of reading our Bibles and reading a new book or listening to a podcast. And his way of maturing his spiritual life was, let's just watch this tree and consider how this tree reveals the heart of God. Or let's watch these birds and consider how do these birds reveal the heart of God. It's interesting, there's an article that came out last year um, from the Washington Post. It was based off of um, some recent psychological research, um, psychology research, I guess would you call it, <laughs> that said the vast majority of research shows that if you listen to the sounds of birds, it has a perceivable reduction in your sense of paranoia and anxiety. Um, right, I'd leave the details to the Google that you can go find. But this, I think, is generally true. In my experience with folks talking to them at a recovery center or people in general, how do you improve your mental health? Listening to birds, bird watching, do you guys, you, you, are you familiar with the term birding? All right, it's a sweet hobby because all you have to do is just go to sit in a place and watch for birds. Right. If you really want to know, you can download the Merlin bird app, and it will identify birds for you, which has been a part of my own kind of mental health work over the last couple of years. It's amazing. You can, it actually has a bird ID sound thing. You can turn it on, it'll record a sound, and it'll identify a bird. I'm like, oh, that, that's a Cooper's hawk, you know? <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, what was the... the uh, the bird, there was a bird in the spring that I could not identify um, that was Baltimore, Baltimore Oriole. Yeah. Man, that sucker was loud. And I could not figure out what it was. And it was this orange thing that kept fluttering around the app. <laughs> but it just helps you just kind of, oh, like, and you can listen to the bird and then you idea. And, but, it's more, it's less to kind of accumulate knowledge and more just to be like more, just more de depth of perception in the world around us because God made that Baltimore Oriole to sing and move and dance in the air and be obnoxiously loud and sit in the tree. And if God can care for that bird, me with all of this drama and theater in my head, I can learn something from listening to this bird and recognize that bird reveals the beating heart of the Father in the center of the universe who cares for this bird that I need an app to understand and more deeply cares about me and my needs. Right, so the solidarity language, let me just kind of draw this together. The solidarity language is saying 
you are a created being. You are not just of that brain in, a, in kind of this body that you have to de- deal with and move around. Your body responds to the creation that God has made you in. And the creation sings of this beating heart of God in the middle of the universe that has his attention and affection directly aimed at you. That's a first step in Jesus' care for our spiritual health. Isn't it just fascinating that so far, our spiritual health is entirely free. Birds are free, right? They're just sitting out there. All right. Let's close this passage up by considering the secure solidarity, our secure solidarity in God's joyful nearness. I don't think this will surprise you, but it's kind of been coming up as we land this passage. But here, verse 32 to 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief uh, approaches and no moth destroys. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is interesting that the last passage ended. First, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. That posture is matched. So I think what that meant was, in verse 31, seek his kingdom is this awareness of who God is and his infinite grace and mercy for you. That's his kingdom. And yet it's matched in verse 32. Fear not, O little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's this fascinating dance of the more we kind of become aware of who God is and our yearning and need for him, he has already been there eager to give it to us. It's this fascinating dance between yearning for God's kingdom and God's eagerness to give it to us. I don't need to spell out the steps in that dance, I don't think, but it's this fascinating dance where you you see in the heart of this, it is the Father's good pleasure right? I, I feel like I, one of my catchphrases is just to say, God's happy to be God, and he's happy about you, and he's happy to give himself to you. That's at the heart of what the gospel is all about. In the midst of our brokenness and need and sin and all of this, the ways in which we find ourselves relating to the rich man in this passage of greed and all that, yet in the midst of this world, God's heart is happy not only about being God, he's happy about being your God. He's not inconvenienced by you. He's not inconvenienced by your basic life needs. He's not inconvenienced by your basic functions as being a human. All those things are things that he's designed and he's put you in a world so that he can communicate his beating heart of pleasure in being God to you. So seek that kingdom. And you will find he is so near to you and so eager to give to you. You find this passage, it's almost as though this funnel, the funnel of this passage is God is right next to you. He is right with you. He is right in the thick of this with you. He is so eager for the kingdom to be in your heart, beating with his desire for you and mercy, that he is as near to you as birds and grass and air 
in the midst of it is not just a kingdom of kind of up there etherealness. So if that is his heart and his nearness to you, when it comes to our neighbors, our, our community, and we see and experience the need, oh, I, I've got a God who's so near to me. He's so identified with me that he knows my needs. He's in so, I have the creator of the universe is in solidarity with me. I have somebody who has a need. Who am I? The person of ultimate status has come down to live in my heart, in my home, in your space. I can, I can give resources, time, energy, heartbreak, mental effort to caring for those around me. It, it, this idea of solidarity, I think, takes on this picture of God is meaningfully in a union with us. To, to, to pull from that image earlier of unions making collective action, God's in a union with you. And it's not just because he gets political. He doesn't get any political advantage from being in union with us. And yet, he wants us to be in solidarity with him. He brings us near to him in Jesus. So that then our community benefits and receives and benefits. So like Friday night when we had the, the info session on human trafficking, right? That is, in a certain sense, God being in solidarity with us, not just to be aware of the issue, but to use this congregation and the gifts of the people in it to make other people aware of other places that he is working so that then other people benefit, those people who are in need, right? people who are being abused. They benefit from God's activity among us, right? And you'll remember if you were there or if you, as you know us, people were caught off guard with no charge, all free, please take. The gospel in Jesus invites us to be in union, in solidarity with this God who is so eager to be among us so that we live as open-handed children of the Father and not this closed-fisted, almost orphaned sense of I live in this world having to make it on my own. So that's what I think Jesus does when he talks about greed. He gets at this heart. God's joyful nearness frees us to live in solidarity with others. Let's pray. Father, as we looked at these words and considered this passage, I pray that we would be re-invited into this parable and this teaching of Jesus to see your nearness, to see your heart for us and solidarity with us, that we can then see the needs of those around us and live in solidarity with them. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.